Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Iron Soul Podcast. Um, today, my guest is Clay Weinog, the head coach at Caw Valley CrossFit and paramedic in... Miami County. Miami County, which is somewhere in Kansas. Lewisburg, Paola, Osawatomie. Yeah, yeah, so southish from here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Southeast. Mm, yep. yep. Yep, okay. Cool. Um, I met Clay... Oh, shit. Um, three, four, five years ago, probably. I think five. Five years ago, Ten, yeah. At the Thatchers, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Th- when he were at a different CrossFit gym, and then when you went to another CrossFit gym, um, and then... Um, when you're at that other CrossFit gym, mm-hmm. you took my oldest under your wing a little bit mm-hmm. to uh, to learn a little bit more about CrossFit, and then we, after a little bit of time, followed you over to your new place. So, Clay, how's it going? It's good. It's good. You uh, hanging in there in the apocalypse? Surviving. Okay. I, I've only lost my mind a couple times, but okay. we're finding it each time, luckily. So you're Finding it barely, or are you getting it's, it back? I would say skin of the teeth. It's, skin of the teeth? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, where should we start? There's a lot that you do, right? And yeah. so um, let's go down your fitness path. When did you start like working out and shit like that? Uh, first thing I really got into was cycling back in like summer of sixth grade. Uh, so before that I read a lot of books, um, and didn't do much besides disappear into other people's worlds. Uh, and then my dad, uh, who was overweight, got into like a weight loss program. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you know Craig Weinog, (laughs) he's like the Douglas County Administrator. If you've ever seen him, he has a gimp. So his right side is partially paralyzed. Uh, So he also didn't do anything physical. And when he started walking, uh, he eventually damaged his knee to the point where he couldn't walk. And so the doctor told him he could swim or ride his bike. Swimming was kind of like lopsided. So he started cycling and just super addicted to it um so he dragged me to bike across kansas oh i did bike across kansas a couple times really yeah when did you do it oh shit the 80s nice that was when it was pretty big then wasn't it yeah it it was huge back in the 80s yep that was like when it was like a thousand plus was it still one route yeah Yeah. um they had two the route would change each year but it was real it was similar on which way you went gotcha so one year we went west to east mm-hmm. and then one year i think we went east to west gotcha gotcha yeah. gotcha when i started they still had it split into three routes because it was big enough to need mm. three different routes at the same mm. time and then towards the end i think we did it four times they had it had gotten less popular i know one year there was like a flu outbreak and like oh, everyone weird because like yeah right right if you all live in the same space and breathe the same air everyone gets sick it's interesting um and so that i wonder if we should have isolated everybody from the bike cross kansas probably probably should just kept them in the high school gym and made them breathe the cold oh that was so miserable um uh anyhow so we started that i remember i was in sixth grade the first year uh i was not super responsible my dad still tries to take responsibility to this but we get to Colorado border and I go to find my pajamas and I don't have a luggage bag. And so I'm in jorts and a polo and I weigh like 105 pounds and it's like the beginning of June and it's like 40 degrees outside. I was like, awesome. Okay. And so 
didn't have anything. So the next day, the first two days of the ride, I rode in my, I had my dad's like oversized shorts mm -hmm. uh, with my polo like buttoned up all the way with the collar pop to try to stay warm. And then I used uh, somebody's arm warmers as leg warmers. And I rode to, I think it was Dodge City or Scott City by the time they like mailed my mm -hmm. luggage to it. I was like, why couldn't somebody just drive it? It's not that far. It's just drive, drive it. They just made me suffer. But Come yeah, on. forgot my luggage. Uh, so that was a fun first year. Sunburnt, windburnt. I had, oh God, I remember. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. It was a doozy. So yeah. that was like, that was the first dip into any like endurance training or any okay. physical activity. Uh, got into track because that coupled pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. um, did track and cycling through like junior high. Um, raced on Velotech. That's like a local team. Uh -huh. um, yep. Got pretty into that. Like leg shaved, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, wore a lot of spandex. Um, I could see that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Uh, <laughs> I remember one year we went to nationals and somebody thought it would be funny if we all bought Nair. Oh, nice. <laughs> so like it was like 15 like teenage boys in walmart all checking out with their own little nair kits uh one kid we put it on and he fell asleep and he still has chemical burns on his legs oh no shit like 15 years ago oh god damn uh <laughs> the supervisors the adult uh, chaperones were not super pleased oh, with i bet not what no, happened on that yeah. but whatever um anyhow so yeah so did that ran cross country in high school there was a point with cycling where I'm not the ballsiest person in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you know what, like a, do you know what a criterium is? Mm -hmm. oh, it's like yeah. the really short races, mm -hmm. uh, like a mile loop or a half yep. mile loop. Really, really technical. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember one year I was doing one down in Arkansas and we were going like 30 around a corner. Yep. And I was pedaling through and my bottom pedal as I went through, the pedal hit the concrete. And I must have popped out about five or six feet, just airborne bunny hop, jumped out five feet and I landed it, but it freaked me out. Like I, it just got in my head of like, if I would have fallen there, like that's a broken femur, that's a broken like shoulder. Like that's not, that's not worth it. Uh, so I, that was kind of the end of, I knew that either I would have to nut up and take those risks or find something else for fun. Uh, so that's when I really got into track you can't, I guess you could really screw yourself up and track, but it's much less likely. You could fall on your face. You I could fall know. on the face. Yeah. That would kind of hurt. Uh, doing hurdles. You could really hurt yourself doing hurdles. That's true. Javelin. You could get stabbed you with a javelin. Get, you could get stabbed in the face. You could. Or or in the arm. Those are kind of like. Or what's the, the shot put? You could get hit in the head with the shot put. <laughs> that would blow. Or, or get your head sliced off with the discus. That would be interesting. You know, somebody yeah. like missed or like the wind caught it and just like right into somebody's. Yeah. That'd be a fun call. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Needless yeah. to say, I've never run a track call on the ambulance, uh, right. but that would be epic. Could happen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'll have to look that up, see if it's ever happened. Oh, I, it has to have happened. Yeah. I've seen somebody get happened. hit by a shot put. Like if you've, uh, have you gone to or the, the hammer throw, I've seen someone get hit with the hammer throw too. Ooh. Yeah, right in the balls. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, it was some Instagram or YouTube thing. I've really? Yeah. That must have obliterated. Like I've heard of stories of like lacrosse, like yeah. obliterating a cup and just going right through everything yeah. and like nothing left. Nothing. Got to get that shit rebuilt. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> so so I, I did track. I uh, ran in a circle a lot. Uh, 5Ks was like my jam. I liked mm -hmm. like actually going somewhere, which is probably from the cycling mm -hmm. endeavors. Um, and then went to college, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess we went to college. Uh, William Jewell. 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Still paying for that. On clay. Uh, something like that. Uh, still paying for it. That's I fine. Bet. I think I'll be paying for that for another five years, ten nice. years. That's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Probably I like mine until I die, so it doesn't matter. I, I think about it. I have friends that are in like med school or like going to get that <laughs> stuff, and they get out, and like I get real stressed out about the debt that I'm in, and I'm just like. Oh, that's a whole nother. I'm fine. It'll that's be fine. That's a whole another level of debt. I can't like yeah. I can't wrap my head around it. I know a girl that finished dentist school and she pays eleven thousand dollars a month. A month. A month. To I pay off been of her a debt. Fucking dentist. Right. You, well, you think about it, and like, and they're still living. They still drive a BMW. They still exactly. have a Lexus. They still just bought their first house, and like, just eleven thousand dollars a month to like eleven thousand dollars must be like a thousand dollars to me. Right. Right. right in my That's student debt, right? That's crazy. That is fucking crazy. Did you see, speaking of, did you see like the Jeff Bezos like equivalent of his wealth and like what it means to us? Is it the similar thing where like with Bill Gates, if he drops a dollar, it costs him more to pick it up than to... It was a visualization. So there's one where you scroll through and like each pixel amounts to like $100,000 or a million dollars. And you scroll through and as you're scrolling through, they go through other billionaires or millionaires and like what the equivalent of this wealth is. And like, I usually don't go down those rabbit holes, but I scrolled and you scroll for, it's like 15 minutes of just wow. swiping your thumb to the left. And it was just interesting. Cause like it, you can't wrap your head around it. Like right. you, you see the number and you kind of visualize like a couple billion dollars or whatever. And like you, let alone whether you wrap your head around it, that in and of itself. But when you get into the hundreds of billions of dollars, like it's the magnitude is absurd. And it was just interesting. I know like on one side, uh, a story that I heard was with who's the railroad guy Rockefeller. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody came up to him and he was like, you know, this is unfair that you have all this wealth and you have this monopoly and you know, you need to divide it up and sp spill it out. And so Rockefeller pulls out a pen and paper and his little like abacus or whatever it was back then and calculates it out and pulls some change out of his pocket and he gives the dude a quarter and he goes, there's your cut. Get out of my office. <laughs> and that was the equivalent of like how you, what would actually happen if you split all that wealth up. Right. Well, so on the other side, in this little thing, you would scroll through and it was, it would have this chunk and it would start and you would scroll a couple times and then it would end. And it was like, that pays for all the cancer treatments in the world for a year. Yep. And it was just somewhere in the middle of this like huge scale of money. And it was just. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even understand how much money he has. No, no. Like at some point you just don't get it. Right. Like you don't understand the number. You don't get it. You don't blah, blah. People get people around you just telling you more, 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 you'll never understand what that. Yeah. And I think to like. them at those levels, like it doesn't matter either. Like it's not, they're not concerned. They're just living their life. They're just yeah. doing what they do. And yeah. they just, you know, yeah, it's not important to them per se. Um, it's super interesting. Anyhow, that would be a tangent. Crushed that is it. a tangent. That's okay. Crushed it. That's uh, a, you did a good job. Thank you. I appreciate thank you. that. I think you might've been one of the first to go down um, a different tangent. On oh, the yeah. show. Oh, nice. Right? Good. Crush it. Which Usually, episode is this, by the way? What's that? What episode is this? This will be number seven, I think. Nice. Okay. Number seven. Right on. Sweet. And we'll, and we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we won't release it right away because I've yep. got one in the hopper that I did yesterday and then nice. this one. So, yeah. Nice. I yeah. Like it. It's a great way to spend the old quarantine. That's right. Apocalypse is doing some, doing some podcasting. So, oh, man, I'm so ready for this to be, I don't know, adapt, I guess. Like I'm just ready for it to evolve to something different. Right, I'm done with, I'm done with this just, stage. I'm, I'm ready for the, um, I'm ready for people to stop freaking out so much. Right. Like, okay. And I know that people hear this all the time. 
it is super sad that people die. Mm-hmm. And people die every day. And this disease is terrible. And we've got to live our lives. Mm-hmm. I choose not to live in fear. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to live my life scared um, about something. If somebody else wants to live their life scared, that's fine. Mm-hmm. More power to them. That's, if that's the way they want to do it, and that's just not the way I'm going to do it. And I am not a fan of the argument of, well, you leaving the house without a mask could get somebody else sick, which is, I'm just, it. there's lots of things in the world that are going to happen to people. Mm-hmm. And I can't, for me to always have the burden of responsibility on myself mm-hmm. for everybody else's health is not, is not, that's not okay. Right. Right. I don't, I don't put the burden of my health and how I take care of myself onto you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I don't, I don't, if you're sick, mm-hmm. right. You should say, okay, I'm sick. I'm not going to come in and do the podcast with Josh. Right. Or you're going to lie to me mm-hmm. and come in and do the podcast with Josh. I neither know the difference. Right. Yep. But I'm going to try to take care of myself as best I can. So if you are sick, I might not be that sick. It's super, it's interesting because there's a, a sense of, it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of like, oh, I have to put on this mask and like really paranoid and like, I'm going to wear a mask when I get in the car, which doesn't make any sense. None. First of all, it's, it's also like, it's an interesting view into the education of how people understand disease right. because obviously there's a discrepancy between, okay, why are you wearing the mask in the first place? If you don't understand why you're wearing it, then you're going to wear it wrong. Yep. And you're going to get somebody else sick. And that's what's fascinating to me is just the the gap in education about how, exactly. how, how pathology works. Yep. And it's not super complicated. Like, I have to remember, like, being in the medical field, like, what seems 101 to me is not. But at the same time, like, there seems to be a huge gap. And I think that drives the fear. And there's also so much judgment of, you know, like, you don't, you don't have your nose covered when you have the mask on. Or, like, you know, you don't have a mask on at all. And it's... It's interesting to me because I think that one, it's, it's be smart, wash your hands. Um, you know, if you're around other people, like maybe this isn't the best time to like not remember to cover your mouth when you cough, which should be a normal thing anyway. And I think that it's interesting because there's a lot of people that aren't involved with nursing homes and there's, they're not involved with the medical field directly, or they're not involved like, like my parents are older and I'm still taking care of them. Right. And so I have to be aware of that. And so like, yeah, if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to wear a mask because I'm going to go be around my dad who just had his prostate removed. Right. You know, like, so I have to take those precautions. Not that everyone needs to take the precautions that I'm taking, but we had, um, or I heard a story of a medic who once Missouri opened up, immediately went out to the bars or whatever and went partying and was dancing. And she took that and was talking about the, well, if they don't want to wear a mask mentality, and it was one of those things where it's like, that's fine, but you're coming to work the next day on an ambulance where you are around a lot of people that are at risk. And so, whereas, you know, somebody else might not need to take that responsibility, like you're in a position where you have to use your judgment that like, by the nature of your job, like maybe you should be a little careful about when that two week barrier hits, like you could infect a lot of nursing homes. Okay. Here's the, here's the question though, mm-hmm. right? If we know that COVID is here, Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not going away. Mm-hmm. At what point can that person go dancing and then go back to work? There's, right. there is a threshold right. at which we have to live our lives. And, and is it arbitrary yeah. that May 15th, you can't, but all of a sudden July 15th, you can. 
right? Like, yeah. what is that two months? What is really that going to do? What is that going to do? I, I, my, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Like, I, I think the, the easiest like set in stone is like once there's a vaccine, whatever. But who knows how long that's going to be? But the vaccines, who okay. Knows? We so let's educate. Yeah. The one listener that I have. That when we do flu vaccine, that's mm-hmm. one strain of the flu that yep. you get a vaccine right, for. Right. Most of the time, people get a billion different strains, right? Mm-hmm. COVID is not going to be any different than that. It's going to adapt. It's going it's to evolve. adapt. There's I think it already has, technically. Yeah. yeah. So whenever we talk about COVID, my face itches. So, and I scratch it. So I, I'm touching my face. I, I don't know why. It's one of those things like when I walk into Dylan's. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're just like, face, I have to sneeze. And I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. no, everybody's going to be fair. Every time I walk in, I'm like, chill my face. Have you itches. sneezed in a, a grocery store yet? Huh? Have you sneezed in a grocery store yet? Uh, no. <laughs> so but funny. that, but, um, that first, when lockdown and all that stuff was going crazy on March 12th, like yeah. when it was people yeah. freaking out, yeah. Jill had a like, still had a respiratory kind of allergy thing yeah. and was coughing in Dylan's and people would just give her the shittiest <laughs> looks, man. So I think it's so funny. I, I, I think oh, it's not funny, right, but like but... people's overreaction about stuff is just, I know that they're scared. Like I get it. Like it's, it's a scary, it's a scary thing, thing for people but... and I could get hit by a penny's truck. It's true. It's true. There, there, and there's such a. I, I think that's the hard part with the people that are on the front lines. Like it, it's a, it's just a weird thing. Because the other side of it, like if you're wearing N95 at work and you're taking uh, universal precautions, you know what universal precautions oh, yeah. are for the one listener. Universal precautions is like you wear gloves. You treat everyone as if they have um, a contagious disease. Like you treat yep. everyone like they have the flu or HIV or. That's right. Um, the cold. And if you do that, then you're probably not going to get sick. And right. universal precautions are a pretty good blanket for most things. Mm-hmm. And so there's also the line of like, cool, and then you're at work, like, and you're in those situations, you wear a mask, you wear an N95, and you do those things. What I worry about is when people are lackadaisical like that, they're probably more lackadaisical when they're on the ambulance as well. And that's what's scary to me is like, if you, when do you draw, like, what lines do you draw where? And if you're dropping lines somewhere, you might drop lines elsewhere. Yeah, I think there is a level of responsibility one has when you work in the the medical profession to just be a little more responsible. Mm-hmm. And they're human beings too. Mm-hmm. Like we're all human beings needing to have a little fun and a little whatever. So yes, that probably was irresponsible for that person to go do that. Mm-hmm. And at what point do they get to go back to their life? Right, right. And enjoy the things that they get to enjoy. I mean, I don't, I don't have the answer. I just pose the question of like, right. Well, and I think I don't think people are. I don't think people are asking it um, or at least asking it with the right, like, I don't know, I guess background or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and I think like my, my personal one is like, there's going to be an uptick and I think surviving the second wave, like that's probably a right answer. Like once the second wave hits and it kind of passes through, cause we're going to have an uptick with the reopening and then it'll die down again. And I think that's probably like closer to but like, the uptick, but... the, yeah, I, <laughs> this uptick, thing that people are throwing out mm-hmm. the uptick happens because there's more testing that's also true which that, is yeah that, yep. so people are been quarantined mm-hmm. we've and not gone out yep. right so there's been a places have been able to um build more tests or develop more tests or whatever the fuck word we're, mm-hmm. we're going to use and now when you come out mm-hmm. you're getting tested mm-hmm. what they're finding in new york is the people that have been quarantined have antibodies are in the antibody test, the people that have been quarantined are coming out of their homes who haven't left their homes 
in two months. Yep. And have COVID. Yep. What the fuck? That's so whatever narrative is happening. Right. Then it's 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 not what we think it is. The other side, and this is not to when like when people come out or not, but like I think that with the increase in mass production and all of that, like we've hopefully given enough time that if there is like a, a people getting really sick versus just kind of like having it and being asymptomatic mm-hmm. or whatever it is that the hospitals at least are now well prepared. Cause I remember initially like when I was, I remember I was wearing like a Tyvek suit and had a mask on, I go to a hospital and like, they had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know how to put on their pappers, which is like a respirator mm-hmm. ventilator thing. They didn't know um, what they were going to wear it for when, and it was a disaster. I mean, that was very early on. Now those protocols are set in place. Everyone's super on top of it. And if there is, or if there isn't, at least now things are set in stone. And so if there is a second outbreak, the preparedness is exponentially higher now, which is, that's a great point because Mm -hmm. I I remember um, back in the eighties with AIDS and HIV Mm -hmm. when doctors would get AIDS and HIV because universal precautions didn't happen back then. right? Right. AIDS and HIV created universal precautions. So, really? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, we I think surgeons and doctors still wore gloves, but mm-hmm. not the same way. They were put into place because of that disease. Gotcha. That makes sense. And so there that- had to have something. Something has to happen for next level shit, right? Mm-hmm. So COVID had to happen. Mm-hmm. For maybe next level preparedness for whether it be COVID or something yeah. stronger from it or whatever for the hospitals to understand to be prepared on some level. Huge wake up call. Yep. Well, and, and I mean, to see all the company like Rogue, uh, I don't know if you saw what they were doing. But oh, like yeah. Building masks, building ventilators and like changing their direction to be able to mobilize in that fashion. Like, I mean, if there's going to be a next like big world war or whatever, like this is probably what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. So now we know that our our system in place has run through that operation, has done it, gone through the motions. They can then do it again, Yeah, um, which is cool to see for sure. Um, and so, oh, this made me think of it. Uh, you know what they used to do with needles on the ambulance back in the day? No. They would just stick it in the bench seat. That was their <laughs> sharks thing. And so like you put in yep. an IV and pull it out and you just dart it into the yep. leather. And like I remember being on an old ambulance in school and just like seeing the little like pock marks. I'm like, I wonder what's living inside of this bench right now. Like what mutant thing has just been growing in there for thirty years and like all of the things that must have gone into that. Like yeah. I mean, that's the other thing with like universal precautions and that stuff. Yeah. Because of HIV, right? Getting needle pricks, things like that changed the whole protocol on yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that's you know, that's an important thing to at least say is that it's going to change the way hospitals do things mm-hmm. and maybe we don't need to shut down the hospitals seriously it's you weird. know that's that's one of the strangest things like the the data that will come out of this about mm-hmm. people that died that couldn't get their normal shit because of this thing mm-hmm. is going to be astronomical and it's i think be it's really a, strange it's definitely like a blast off into telehealth uh, like it was already there, but now everyone has to use it or at least be educated on that. It's an offer because a lot of insurance companies offered that kind of thing or, and now people have to use it or sh- should have been using it or they didn't know mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I think it'll be interesting because I think there's a lot of stuff. I think like the house call doctor, which is essentially what like an ambulance is, but like right. house call general medicine, that's now you have the ability to do that over Skype. 
Right. And there's a lot of patients that we have that maybe they don't need to go by ambulance. Um, maybe they don't even need to be seen in person, but they need to talk to a doctor. Right. And so it's such a stress on the system to like go pick them up and take them because like they are a medical patient. So they like believe or should, or maybe they have things that like, yeah, maybe it wouldn't be safe to take them by taxi because they're in a wheelchair and they're paraplegic or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's such a, they're not necessarily needed to go by ambulance, let alone really even be seen in person. And so now you have this ability to zoom and Skype and take care of that person from a distance um, and know like, all right, cool. Yeah. Okay. You do need to come in for labs. So we'll just send somebody out to you or a blood pressure or a blood pressure. And like, the integration of all these things that are available, the technology, like you can hook up a four lead to an iPad now. Yeah. It's not that expensive. And like you could teach somebody how to put that on and send the data to a doctor. Right. And that's a game changer. Like it's, it's the stress on the patient to like have to go through that. A lot of patients that are past that point of being able to be mobile in that sense, like mm-hmm. going to the hospital is a stressful experience on their body. Right. And like you might tip them over the edge, you know, they, they, they exist on this thing. And that's what makes, you know, COVID so dangerous is like you have those patients with all those comorbidities and they have this virus that comes in and just boom, that's the edge. But uh, is there, nah, oh, never mind. Uh, did you see Glassman's thing on, so he was talking about, uh, Greg Glassman's like the founder of CrossFit. Um, he's really big on health and wellness and reducing chronic disease. Um, and he gives this description of like the top four or five killers in the world. And he goes into like, there's, you know, kinetic. So like car crashes, there's chronic disease, such as like heart disease and whatnot. Um, and then there's also like biology. So like flus and viruses and things of that nature. And he said, the interesting thing about what makes this dangerous and what makes really any disease dangerous is the chronic lifestyle underneath it. That's right. And so you have type 2 diabetes. You have these like hardened arteries. You have these this like hypertension, this stress on the heart. And then you add something else to it. And it doesn't matter whether it's the flu or cold or a car wreck or... Or cancer. Or cancer. Any of these things. And what he did was he had this picture of it and he was just like, well, now you're taking this, this basket of diseases and you're lighting it on fire. Yep. And that's not going to go well for anybody. Um... And that's what's interesting to me with like the fitness journey. Uh, we'll loop back around. Loop back around. It's like, what's the point in that? Like, what's the point of being a human that can squat, can lunge, can run, can pick up things, can throw, can swim, can play? Like, it, it, it's always been this separate thing of it's like it exists in this compartment of I need to go to the gym to be healthy. It's like, okay, well, what does that do like when you leave the gym? Like, to what end did you do this? Is it like just to check the box or is it because you wanted to be more human? And you can talk about all these like little stresses like getting up, going out in the cold, walking a certain distance, having to pick up something and carry it uh, to expose yourself to, you know, a cold or a flu here and there to be around people to get your hands dirty and all these little micro stresses and they, what's the point, you know? Well, it makes you more resilient. Not only does it like, you know, help your mental state and help your, you know, relationships and all these other things, but like, it makes you a more durable person. And so then when these things happen, like you've already had this, you know, reinforcement created, you're a little bit more durable. Maybe it puts you under or whatever, but like the likelihood of you thriving or surviving and getting through something of that nature, like is tenfold better than somebody that, doesn't do any of those things and eats mcdonald's every day and you know is 
400 pounds and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And it's interesting because a lot of the, I mean, you can look at all the medical technology and the drugs and the treatments are all designed to keep that 400 person at 400 pounds, but alive. Right. Isn't that crazy? It's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts to me that a type two diabetics main treatment is insulin now. Like they, they switch to insulin almost immediately for so many of those patients. Like they're yep. like, Oh, metformin for a week. Let's add some insulin into it. Your blood yep. sugar is still high. And it's like, what? Like I obviously weight loss and uh, changing your diet and nutrition, your, your entire lifestyle is an endeavor. But to look at the easy answer to just like, let's just add like a artificial hormone into it as the first answer and not worry about anything really else. Like maybe we throw you a pamphlet on eating veggies and fruits, but like not looking at the holistic thing because it just goes back to that idea that people are soft, right? Mm -hmm. People are just soft. They don't want to do the hard work, right? They don't want to do the thing. They'd rather drive through the drive through, right? Than cook their meals. Mm -hmm. They'd rather have the insulin than really dive deep into their soul and figure out why it is that they're fat, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Overweight, whatever. Right. And try to try to be better. It doesn't mean they'll come off of the insulin. Mm-hmm. They may have to be on that the rest of their life, but they still could be working to take less or whatever or not harden their arteries, whatever the case may be. Or they can just be fat asses and and do the thing. And die, right? Like or whatever. Like, but once again, not my burden mm-hmm. unless it's insurance, right? Because then that's really the issue is is the burden of my insurance payment mm-hmm. is because it's people are unhealthy. Paying for them, right? Yep. And that, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, do you know what the term consilience is? No, I don't uh, know. Do you know who E.O. Wilson is? Like a biologist? Mm-hmm. You would have learned about him in like, mm-hmm. I guess like late high school. Uh, E.O. Wilson is a biologist who studied ants, I believe was mm-hmm. his like specialty. Uh, there's a book called Consilience that I read in college. And it's the idea that in today's day and age, we put on a pedestal those that have gone way off the deep end into one thing. They're an expert in their field in this one thing. And so you have like surgeons and they are experts in neurosurgery, but they don't really know the foot musculature. Right. Um, You have like mathematicians that are good at the 12th dimension, but they don't really know much about the 10th dimension per se. Right. Um, And so E.O. Wilson was talking about how when society makes these huge leaps and bounds in progress or technology or philosophy it's from renaissance men it's from the da vinci's and the um that's the only one that's coming to mind uh the the thomas jefferson's the you know the forefathers are a great example of this they studied everything Mm -hmm. and yeah they leaned towards government or they leaned towards art or they leaned towards one way or the other but they had such a depth of knowledge and they were able to conciliate i think that's the verb for that word uh and bring it all together to then pursue their task. And so as a generalist, they can then dip into these different expertises. And then one, your worldview is bigger, which is always good. Right. And then two, your knowledge base is a little broader. So your foundation for making conclusions has a better standing point. And I think the next step in, in medicine or therapy or like human development is it's the, you know, the social worker that knows about fitness and knows why like fitness is important more so than like, yeah, you should probably go run a couple times a week or exercise for 15 minutes a day. Right. But to know like how to tell somebody to do that, know the struggle of like, it's going to be hard, you know, here's a good place to start and have that ability to either point them in the right direction a little bit better than just go work out for 45 minutes a day or to have a personal experience with it, to have the doctor that, you know, has struggled with 
healthy eating and knows like, hey, like you need to eat healthier. Here's a really cool book that I have or a YouTube channel or a course that I took or that you could take on how to actually cook. So you don't have to go to McDonald's because, you know, that's one of the big things is like people don't know how to cook. Well, fine. Learn. Okay. How do you learn? How do you create this like uh, in education, like the scaffolding to support them through that? Because one, people are soft. They don't want to do it. And I think it's interesting. This is like a somewhat of a, like a Jocko concept of as the, like if you're the professional or the expert in that field, sure, it's their responsibility to take ownership over their life. But like, how do you take ownership of creating or facilitating that person to follow through and be able to do that? Because on one hand, yeah, you could just be like, ah, fuck them, whatever. Like, do your own thing. Uh, I gave you my advice. I'm done with it. But that also doesn't take ownership of like, well, if it didn't work, then like, did you do your job? You know, like, were you successful in that? And like, there's a balance there for sure. But to create a scaffolding that understands and you have to know things about different fields if you want to actually make a lasting difference. You can't just prescribe insulin. You have to like prescribe the insulin and then be like, cool, this isn't the answer. We also need to do these things and here's how we're going to do those. Here's What's, how we're going to build those habits. That's, that's one of the things that is super frustrating about um, doctors and mm -hmm. medicine. Like what you're saying is that thing. I remember being referred to this doctor years ago mm -hmm. and I walked into his office, probably 300 pounds. Ooh, nice. And, and we're sitting there, right? And I'm, I look not as jacked as I look right now, yeah. but, uh, um, I was, I was, I was, I was in good, decent shape, decent shape. And he fucking told me that I need to lose weight because of my BMI. And I was oh, so I you were like a him. yoked out 300 and then I was like, looked at him and, and I was just kind of in ponderance and I was like, and this, and this is, I was still have my clothes on at this point and he, yeah. he's fat and he's telling, and I'm, I was just kind of looking at him and looking at him and then I, you know, I get, take out my shirt and then he goes, Oh, you have a lot of muscle and I went, mm hmm. And then I went and got a different doctor. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because yep. 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 yep he went off of some weird number and yet he's the person that I don't want advice from. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. You know, it's just, it's not any type of fitness advice or health advice. He may know how to, um, cut his own balls or whatever, you know, give him his own vasectomy. Right. But yeah. And that, I, I find it fascinating that the BMI is still used. I, oh, I know most yeah. doctors are kind of like, but they still have it. They still mm -hmm. use it. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, for my BMI, like I'm a small dude in the scheme of things, um, like five, six, I weigh one fifty five. Jesus. Almost always. My BMI should be like one thirty. Can you imagine like if I lost twenty pounds, like yeah, I would be emaciated. Yeah, you'd be a marathon runner. Right. And like it blows my mind um, that that hasn't been readdressed. There's a lot of stories about CrossFit where they'll have like a pro CrossFitter go in and they'll be like 60 pounds overweight technically. Yep. And they won't get like an insurance discount because of it or they'll get, you know, some premium over what it's supposed to be. And it's like, I'm the 10th fittest dude in the world. Yep. Don't tell me I have to pay extra because like I can lift more than you and I can run a marathon. Like, yeah, I, I worked for a company that, the and they had a, like one of those um, discount things, but mm -hmm. they gave instead of BMI, mm -hmm. you you could do it by BMI or you could do it by I think it was your waist. Mm -hmm. And I was like, motherfuckers, I'm a I got a powerlifting belly. Yep, they still they still fuck you. <laughs> I'm like, still like, it, so I were I mean it, I made it, but mm -hmm. it was I was like, what the. 
I think it's hard. I think it's a really cool. The hard part is like, how would you uh, hold this accountable? But I know, I think Lawrence Fire Medical did this. Lawrence Douglas County, sorry, Dad, um, does this. But it was like, do you ride your bike to work a couple times a week? Do you smoke cigarettes? Yes or no? Yeah. And looking at the lifestyle of it and rewarding that, because in the scheme of things, and this is like kind of what we're talking about earlier, like you have to reward the lifestyle and like you have to give in this sense, like the E for effort of like, cool, like you're doing all the right things. Like maybe you've started your journey. I'm going to give you a break because you've started that journey or you're continuing that journey. And like, maybe your BMI is too high or maybe, you know, your blood sugar isn't too great or your A1C isn't that good, but like you're trying right now and we want to make sure that that's continues to go. So we're not going to punish you for trying. Um, yeah. I get I get I get a little rigid and judgy on the whole fitness thing and I go I can go really um, f- real far to one side but mm-hmm. the reality in my heart of hearts if somebody's just trying and getting out there and walking 15 minutes a day for they're sure. moving for sure they're, they're moving. moving they're doing something different and just moving and in the very end to me that's, that's enough that's huge right that's actually so and this goes to now we can make fun of CrossFit mm-hmm. um Yes, please. Let me Let's do I want to make it, I want to make so much fun across Um so I so after running in high school, I went to college, I did a bunch of drugs, uh, I went crazy. Um and then I found CrossFit. So there there's a short end of that. Um Can we go down crazy a little later? <laughs> we can go down crazy a little okay. bit later. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun can of worms. Yep. Uh it's got cool colors in it. Um, so some would say you still may be a little crazy. Oh, for for sure. Yeah, yeah. I just got rid of my bed, so we're yeah. we're delving way down that crazy path right yeah. now. Um, so with with CrossFit and when we open Caw Valley, like there's with, with with any methodology, there's always a sense of this is the right way and there is a wrong way. And something that luckily has become readily apparent that I was somewhat aware of, but like now we're really going to shift the messaging of like the, the gym that we have, um, towards is that like any, anything that you do over time is going to make a difference. If you go walk 15 miles or 15 minutes a day, if you, you know, want to do P90X and do that every day, if you want to power lift every day, you're going to be healthier than if you didn't. Right. Um, and even in the CrossFit methodology, they look at it as like, all right, cool. Good movement is best, but like bad movements better than no movement. No movement's the worst. And as humans, like we, we have to move. Right. And to look at CrossFit as an avenue, a means to an end of being healthy and not a means to an end of just being better at CrossFit because of the, um, quantitative nature of the numbers and the times and the reps it's so easy to delve into like, how do I make my double unders better? Like I have to do that. And that consumes your fitness journey of like, how do I get this arbitrary um, snatch where I throw the bar over my head in one movement? Or like, how do I get my back squat five pounds heavier? Like to what, to what end though? Is it just to get your back squat heavier? Like you're not a, you're not a professional power lifter. Those five pounds don't really matter. They're fun. And it gives you a tangible sense of goal or like a smart goal or whatever. But like the, the point is to one, not get diabetes and die. Right. Uh, two, to be able to go like go to the lake and go kayaking on a whim. And if you've never kayaked before, like you don't have to worry about being able to carry your kayak or your lats aren't going to get as tired. Like your hands are going to be tough. So they're not going to callous over or they're not going to like rip open. Right. So you can go play and be a human. Um, and it's so easy to disappear into any methodology that way and get lost inside this like compartment of, 
you know, the gym or this style of like Orange Theory or um, nah. the Genesis, right? Yeah. Well, um, I still think there's a hierarchy of how you should pursue fitness, but whatever. Uh, and so as a, as a gym, we're going to try to steer that where like CrossFit is the hobby. It's not your sport per se. There's, you know, there's like a 1%, like we have two athletes that qualified for a sanctional, which is like a huge CrossFit event. And it was really awesome. And they work that that's their life. They've dedicated their life to this pursuit, but that's, you know, that's not Sally at four o'clock in the afternoon who has three kids. Like she shouldn't go home and like, you know, ground her kids because she was so frustrated with her double unders that it just ruined her day. Right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like you weren't into fitness class and you got fit and like you had fun and you got your heart rate up and you did some high intensity, like awesome. And then you were able to go play with your kids. Right. But the thing about CrossFit that and I, I'm not ready to talk too much shit just yet about it. <laughs> the thing I do like about CrossFit is if somebody mm-hmm. comes to you and mm-hmm. says, you're not just going to give them the, this is what I love about CrossFit. You're not just going to give them Fran to do. Emotional deposit here. Right? Fran to do. You're also, if they're interested, going to give them the zone book. Mm -hmm. Or talk to them about paleo. Mm -hmm. You're going to talk to them about other things that they can do to be healthy overall. Not just their Fran time or Fran, right? You're going to give them a knowledge base. Mm -hmm. that That's what I like about CrossFit that's different than back in the day, different than just going to a Globo gym, trying to figure it out, having some guy just show you the, the dumbbells or the, how to turn on the thing and then go, don't die. Right. 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 If you go to never come back again, right. If you go to a CrossFit gym, you're a good one. Mm -hmm. You're going to get show technique. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're interested in diet, there may be even a seminar Mm -hmm. once every six months on this or that. Right. You're, so you're gonna you're trying to te- treat the overall person's health mm-hmm. than just showing them how to clean and jerk. Right, and and that's that, what I appreciate about that the the sport or the fitness model, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's something that's easy to overlook for a lot of CrossFit gyms, but I think that has been overlooked is like you go back to these like the old Glassman articles from the '90s, and he he talks about all those things. Yep, and it's so easy to get lost in the sport of it and like the flashiness and like you know the faster Fran time um, when in like you go back and it's like, no, 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 no. Like mechanics, consistency, and then intensity. Right. And then you repeat that over and over and over again. And I think it's interesting because like for me and like, this is where within the walls of the class, it's, it's to inspire a curiosity of what it means to know your own kinesiology. So to know your own human movement and explore Mm -hmm. that because Nobody has or like right. the, a very small percentage of the population has explored how their shoulder joint actually works. Right. What does it mean to hang? What does it mean to do a pull up, to be able to pull your own self up? How does that work? Mm-hmm. And what's cool in CrossFit is there's so many avenues of exploration that you can start to draw dots between seemingly unconnected things, which is super fascinating to me. Um, but if it is just about the Fran time, then like, who cares? You know, like if you can't front squat without pain or you can't do a pull up with like, you, know, you can't do a pull up, those are bigger issues than like whether you beat, you know, Joe next to you who wasn't even using the same bar or like, you know, like it, it's an interesting like balance. But I think the important thing is like, you just, you, you inspire a curiosity of like, how do you move your own body? Right. And like, I I agree. And that's what, that's what I, um, 
I appreciate about your guys's gym is that you 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 inspire curiosity. You don't you don't get too wild that I can tell. I can see Grant mm-hmm. um, over time, right? From the old gym to coming over to you guys, he doesn't. He he makes it to class mm-hmm. and he puts the effort in over time and i've Mm -hmm. seen him progress even not even going in and watching but i can see his body progress Mm -hmm. for sure i mean the the kiddo was also doing weights at school and just Mm -hmm. before the the covid just getting jacked that kid was getting jacked he's gotten a lot bigger like yeah yeah it's kind of funny like he used to be i mean he was i don't say like a spaghetti noodle but like he's a scrawny dude yeah and it's also interesting to see, you can see a direct, it's cool when people, um, I'll use an analogy of like light bulbs, when they add more light bulbs and then they also have the ability to increase the wattage of those light bulbs, mm-hmm. like they're going to burn a little bit brighter. Yep. And you can see it in like the effort he puts in. Like some days he comes in, he's a little tired, but like some days, like I've seen that dude one time he was like, I'm going to do 50 unbroken pushups. And I was like, that's a terrible idea, but I would love to see that. Okay. And so we sat there. It was like a buy-in before this like long ass workout. And like, there he goes. He goes, he knocks out 50. And like by the 48th one, like his arms are trembling. He's shaking. And like, he goes up into a down dog and then he busted out 49. He busted out 50. And like, if you would have seen Grant, you know, 18 months ago, like he'd be on like 10. He'd be like, ah, like, all right. And then shake his arms out and be like, ah, my wrist hurts. And then maybe do a couple, like couple more. And it was so cool to see that spark of like, it was just funny, you know, right. it was funny to him to see if he could, right. but he was just genuinely curious. He was like, I think I could do 50. Yep. And so he did it and it basically ruined the rest of the workout, but it was so neat. And I remember like as a coach from that perspective, it's, it's getting to know the people that you're around or that you're like guiding through this fitness journey and to know, like normally I would have been like, Grant, like, no, you should probably do like a couple sets of eight mm-hmm. <laughs> and then go down to four but it didn't matter what was more important for him to do 50 pushups. Yep. And like he carried himself so high, like his shoulders rolled back. He was like, did anybody else do that today? And I was like, nobody else did that today. And he was like, dope. He grabbed his backpack and like went home yep. and like that was legit. And you can see it in, it's just like how he approaches anything really at this point, like whether it's pull-ups or back squats or like he's got some, he's got interesting hips. Yep. So his squats, interesting. Yep. And he's constantly exploring it. Like he's constant. He changes his his, his foot width. He changes uh, the amount of tension that he holds, and you can see him starting to understand his body more. Which when you're what is he 16, 17? 17, 17, yeah. it's always changing. Yep. And if you don't have that approach, then like you're gonna get frustrated with your own self, which is not good as you're going through your late teens. If you're frustrated with your body, like yep. that's a long road to go. But if you're constantly exploring all the changes that you have. Like, you're going to set yourself up to be pretty stout when you're in your late 20s. Um, and so it's been really cool to see his. And then also as a coach, like, to recognize, like, what, is, what does Grant get out of CrossFit? Yeah. That's going to be very different than what I get out of CrossFit or why I pursue fitness or the, you know, the Tomas, the other 17-year-old that's in there. Like, how does he, what does he get out of CrossFit? And, like, um, it's been cool to watch that with Grant. Like, he shows up every day, you know? He puts in the work. He might be a little sleepy sometimes, but like he wakes up. What teenager isn't? Then... <laughs> right? So funny. Uh, do you know who Scarlett is? Yeah. Uh, she's a, the plastic surgeon. Yeah. Uh, and she like, it's so funny to me when they're in class together, the relationship that they have, because they go back and forth all the time. Like, you know, 
uh, Grant will be like crushing it. Scarlett will cheer him on. Scarlett will start backing off. Grant will like say something real quiet and like Scarlett will pick it up. And like after class, they, you know, fist bump each other. And you get this like 17 year old who's bonding with this plastic surgeon, uh, mother of soon to be two. Um, and you don't, you can get that other places, but it's cool to see it. And it's that community, that community aspect. And that's mm-hmm. what I, to have a kid that's an introvert like him mm-hmm. to go to that is what's, what's important to have that idea of community to show up, to show up to class, to show mm-hmm. up to, to support his, his folks. And he's, he's missing it, man. I'll tell you that much. Oh, dude, I'm excited. We're soon. Yeah. Soon. He, he's supposed, he soon. emailed Alec yesterday. Like you cool. said, yeah, cool. for to go to come to the first. Yeah. You, nice. Yeah, you should be able to get going on the first, right? Yeah, yeah. We we waited because technically we could open Monday, but we figured they would kind of limit things, and they did. And yep. they actually limited classes. Right. So you can't do classes right now, which is what we do. And so, uh, I mean, we had made the decision earlier, but good good in retrospect. Uh, so we'll open with like a 12-person class, which is slightly smaller. We're going to add a first responder class or a high-risk class right? Um, and go through the hoops and whatnot. But um, yeah, June 1st should be should be raring to go yeah oh, so, so so does everybody else for sure um so yeah. how did you so you're you went to college yep. what did what kind of workouts did you do in college nothing nothing uh, okay well okay, that's a lie i was i was gonna go for cross or cross country um and then i decided not to i was just burnt out like i was right. having issues with my parents uh we weren't communicating very well um i uh, like started doing drugs and like, I think the point with my parents, the, like I, I told them that I had like tried marijuana and I was hoping that the buy-in of me telling them would be better than them finding out. Uh, it wasn't, it was the same. It was terrible. Uh, were you out of high school at that point? And you told no. Them? So it was interesting. I was a pretty straight edge. Like I, I had my first sip of alcohol after I was 18. Okay. Um, which was out of like a Lutheran church. I just didn't know which side the grape juice was on. That was my first taste nice. of alcohol. I had a crush on the preacher's daughter. <laughs> right on. So I showed up one day. Um, anyhow, so then my senior year, like started, you know, playing around with that kind of stuff and like not super, like a lot, but like got into it. And there was, I'm already like 18. There's already a sense of like not understanding your parents and them not understanding you and that whole thing. Right. And I remember when I told him, I was hoping that that would be an emotional buy-in to like, build a relationship on like how do I navigate the senior year and it totally blew up in my face I remember my dad wanted me to write an, an essay on why marijuana was bad <laughs> of course and he did of course he did and so he Way sent me go, this Frank. I was so mad he sent me an article and there was a study in it that was showing why it was so bad and I so I just looked up the study and I did the calculations and they basically drowned this chimpanzee in smoke for like a week. Right. And so I calculated out what's the equivalent for somebody my body weight to have to and it was like you would have to smoke pounds of marijuana constantly and i so i told him that and he then he was frustrated and then didn't make me write the essay but he was still mad um and so i was just in like fuck it mode when i went to college so decided not to run cross country just needed a break uh and this is when i mean it was i started working at a sushi bar and we would work i would work like 12 hour shifts going to private college like still making decent grades and partying on the weekends, like I would just, you know, oh, you have Adderall that keeps you up. Cool. Like I need to pull an all nighter tonight. Standard student stuff. Right. But then you add in like if you're working a 36 hour week and you're taking like 15 hours of like pre-nursing classes mm-hmm. and you're having your first experience with like hallucinogens, like you're going to burn your brain out. Yeah. 
And so when that was my first Sounds semester. Sounds like the 90s for me. Right? Yeah. Good, good. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, I, I could get into why I think that like a rite of passage for certain things is important to have that like guide there. Mm-hmm. But like you go into it with no guide, like you're not going to come out on the other end in a, in a good spot. Nope. And so I got that winter. Everyone goes home for winter break. I stayed there in a, like I rented a basement apartment thing in this like dark grungy old apartment nice worked still at the sushi bar and like the the fire had just gone and i've done a lot of research into like what starts somebody to be manic depressive but essentially like your axons just get burnt out like they can't fire as well and it's an interesting depression because it's very different than just like a sadness depression um it's not necessarily that you are sad it's just that the light bulb's not there like the wattage has gone down yep. the light bulbs are burnt out they're super dim. Yeah. It's and it's very dark. Lethargic and all that stuff, right? For sure. And so I got super depressed and then I remember starting the next semester and like expecting the light bulb to just turn back on and it didn't. Um and so that was like my first experience with um I don't I definitely had some like suicidal ideation. I don't think I made an attempt at that point. Uh but there was definitely like a lot of suicidal thoughts and eventually um what did happen this is there was like four or five different incidences that i can kind of line up i ended up in stormont west uh which is like a but did your parents yeah. like come grab you from where you were like after you yeah attempted, or? i i'm trying to think of which semester it was because there was three depressive episodes or two that were really long so the other thing that's weird with me was like mine were so long so it was like six months up and down mm-hmm. Versus like two weeks or two months or like it was a long period. And so somewhere towards the end of the semester, like gears weren't turning. Things were gummed up in my brain. And I think I had gone home and we were trying to make the classes work like bare minimum and then couldn't. And then I think I did eat a bunch of lithium. I don't remember. At one so point some I did, point, but so at some, some point, point I get checked into Stormont. But some at some point you were diagnosed with bipolar. Yes. Within yeah, yeah, yeah. that yep. time frame. Okay. So for that first one, no, that was just depression. Right. Like, uh, I remember they checked my vitamin D levels and they were like nothing. Oh, um, wow. Like super messed up. And so it was just, they just looked at it. They, they, they didn't see the manic episode. Right. They just, to them, they saw the depression. In retrospect, obviously right. there was an up and then there was a down. But um, so get treated for depression. And this is where... I think it really got sealed in was then I get out of the um, Stormont Vale West and I get put on Lexapro Mm. and I go to a psychiatrist that was just like, oh, cool, you're still sad. Let's just up the dose. And that was the appointment. Ten minutes in and out. And so I got to like a 40 milligram dose of Lexapro um, and started to go up. Keep going up, keep going up, keep going up. and just then went off the deep end that way. Right. Uh, and so I get super manic, um, end up just, you know, freaking out. Cause like, it's still at this point, no, like I still had that communication barrier with my parents mm-hmm. and they just weren't understanding. And so I was frustrated. Now the brain was kicked back on and I could kind of see what was going on. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense, but nobody would listen. Right. And it's interesting when you're in that state and you're, uh, I remember a psychiatrist called it hyperverbal. You're talking really fast. Right the speed of your speech is really fast. And so everyone sees that as the problem and they, they just tell you, you need to slow down. You need to calm down. Interesting. And, and that's the solution. Instead of being like, maybe you have something to say and you just need to get it all out. 
and then we can process what you said and then try to fix why everything's turned on. And so I just lost, I remember I ran away to Colorado. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I was like, fuck all of this. I don't want to do this anymore. And I remember detoxing off of Lexapro, like under a bench in Boulder. Wow. It was awful. I bet it was. Like everything just hurts. Yeah, like your brain doesn't know what's going yeah. on. Your serotonin pathways are just yep. gone. Um, and like eventually my mom and her best friend came and got me. Like I just happened to be on a park bench that was like, that they walked by. They knew I was in Boulder. They didn't know where. Right. Uh, and they were like, let's go home. And I was like, fine. <laughs> okay. Fine. All right. So we drive back and on the way, I remember just getting really angry and like trying to process this communication thing. And I remember threatening my dad. This is like totally delusional, but I was like, I just wanted him to apologize and just have a heart to heart, like mm -hmm. finding Forrester moment of like, right. it's not your fault. Right. And I didn't get that. And uh, we were both being super stubborn. And so I was like, well, I'm going to scratch myself until you do. And it's interesting. So I actually have uh, scars that are from Atlas stones, but they're in the same spot. Uh, oh. And so I was doing this Atlas stone workout, which is a big ball of concrete. And I, it was really hot. And so I was scraping my arms, doing the throws. And then I picked up the smaller ball for a farmer's carry. And the farmer, the smaller ball had been sitting in the sun. Oh, and so shit. I'd scrape the skin off and then I burned it with the other ball. And so now I have scars in the same spot. Nice. So I just scratched myself there. Um, and my mom set me up for an appointment. She was like, let's just go talk to a psychiatrist. And I was like, cool. So we go to research psychiatric, which is in South Kansas city. And I had no, I thought it was just a therapist conversation. Right. And it, I didn't know it was that I didn't even know where, where we were. And so I told him, I was like, yeah, so I just scratched myself until this happened. And so I had harmed myself, uh, four, oh, four day hold. <laughs> Um, so a, a four day hold is if you're threatening to hurt somebody or you're threatening to hurt yourself, then like they have to keep you there until you calm down. And they know you can be safe. On or they own. choose to keep you there because they can't because. And then at four days you go to court and they decide whether you have. Right. The, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I freaked out. I remember I tried to run and then all of a sudden the security guards come out of the woodworks. Yes. I'm like, great. So that started my 30 day stay in research psychiatric. Uh, and Again, it was a situation of like, you go in, oh, you're still talking faster, you're still up, let's up your Risperdal dose, like let's right. up your antipsychotic at this point. And then they leave and that's it. And then you're yep. stuck with a bunch of other people. Yep. And I remember, I actually did get, I don't know if they changed it back, but I remember you would get like your five minutes out in the sun, but it was also the smoke break. So you'd go right. outside and just be surrounded by cigarette smoke. Yeah. And I believe I was on Wellbutrin at that point, which is similar to Chantix. Yep. Uh, and it would just make me deathly ill. And I was, it was not a healing environment to say the least. Right. Uh, I remember at one point I was trying to like blow off steam and like the, the 20 minutes of gym time that we got where we like couldn't do anything active and, you know, you had to shoot the basketball. Shoot you, bas you could play pig. Pig, shoot some baskets. Yep. And uh, oh, yeah. so I was running laps in the uh, in the hallway, <laughs> and I got in trouble for that because I was abnormal. <sighs> Whatever. So I remember going to court, and they I thought it was a pretty normal conversation. I'd love to hear it in retrospect. I'm sure it wasn't, but uh, I sat there and I told them, and they they told the story and talked about what I did and didn't do. And he was asking if any of it was like true or not true, and I was like, yeah, it's true. You know, this that clarified what I needed to. And they were like, well, do you have anything else to say? And I was like, well, I really have to pee. So if we could get this over with, like, I really have to. You don't say in court. Right. <laughs> I just didn't care. Uh, so that turned into a longer than four day hold. Um, and so did not pass that. Uh, anyhow, and then I remember I got out. I think it was 
two and a half weeks in, they let me out on Halloween. And I remember just immediately just, uh, what did I do that night? I guess I don't remember. I remember getting in a fight with my older brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so while I was in there, um, he had gotten into an altercation with my dad and there was this whole big issue. And so I was upset about that. I was upset about, you know, everything else still. Cause I had yet to have anybody like do therapy with me. Right. Um, and so Charles and I get into a fight and so I freak out and I call 911 or whatever. And like, he hit me. And, uh, because I had swung first, I get arrested. <laughs> so then I go spend the night in the Douglas County jail. Uh, Fun fact, a lot of the jail project uh, was because of this situation. Because when I went in, they just throw you in a cell just like yep. everybody else. Yep. They don't have anything set up. Um, they didn't have the response team that they have now. Yep. Uh, what is that called? It's like C-something. Yep, I don't um, know. Th that, I don't want to say entirely came for this, but the county support for all of yep. that came from this situation. Yep. Uh, behind the scenes of county budgeting. Um so I went to jail. They let me out on the condition that I go back. And like at that point, I realized that if I just sucked it up, stayed quiet, kept my mouth shut, didn't process anything, didn't get anything out, I'd probably get out. Uh, my ammonia levels were off. And so they actually had to keep me longer because my ammonia levels were so messed up from all the different drugs that they were yeah. putting me on. Uh, I remember one point we were waiting in line to go to the eat and they uh, I shit myself. <laughs> I just had raging diarrhea. Right. And I was like standing in line and I was still, in, I was just like in give up fuck it mode. And I was like, well, hey, I, I just shit my pants. So I got to go back to the unit to change my underwear. And they were like, okay. And I was like, sorry. Like, I don't know what you want me to do about it. But So there's this whole big thing to get this escort to go back to the other unit. Um, anyhow, I got out on a bunch of antipsychotics, like a lot, a heavy dose of Risperdal. Um, and I definitely was zombied out at that point. And uh went through a semester at Johnson County by the skin of my teeth just barely being able to process like I mean it was the same year I was on so many antipsychotics it was basically the same as being super depressed like the brain just doesn't want to fire right um get through that and work my way into back into William Jewell. Um, I remember they were lowering my Risperdal dose and you're not supposed to have like an addiction to an antipsychotic. Like they don't have addictive properties. Right. And I remember I went through withdrawals and I don't know why, maybe it was just a psychosomatic thing, right. but I remember getting down to the point, like every time I tried to stop it, I would just puke, nausea, vomiting. Like it would be awful. And I remember driving to Johnson County for the psychiatry appointment and her like having to like have a trash can in the passenger seat, like puking on the way there I get into it and I'm just like, dude, I'm sick. Like I, something needs to, like, we need to figure this out. And I remember she pulled out her phone and Googled it. And she just said, well, Risperdal doesn't have any addictive properties. Like you shouldn't be having these. So it must be something else. And I was like, well, if I take it, I don't puke. And if I don't take it, then I puke. So there's a connection here. And I remember having to go through, my mom would crush up the pill into a powder and I would put my finger on it and I would lick it. And that was enough to keep me from puking. And so we weaned down to that much. Uh, and eventually I just had to spend two weeks just miserable. During that point, had my interview for nursing school to get back into William Jewell. And I remember puking beforehand, straighten up my tie, splash some cold water on my face. I go into this interview and rock it. Somehow pull it out of my ass. Get back into nursing school. I get out. And then I remember my mom had driven me. And so we had to park, stay in the parking lot. We got halfway home. I was like, mom, you got to pull over. And I was like, just puking right sick um made it back in went back to jewel and then 
realized that like a lot of this was just like none of this I had processed yet. No one had taken the time to be like, what's like, why are you so angry? Like, right. why are you so fed up with this? Cause the answer was always like, well, you're just bipolar, right? You just need to take these drugs and everything will be better. Obviously not. Um, so I went manic again. Uh, that part of the story, I think I made, I made it through a semester and a half. Um, and then I took a bunch of withdrawals and then I can't remember if I got depressed at that point. I think I did. I remember I broke my hand. Uh, so I have like a half metal hand. Um, that's fun. Boxer's fracture. I've had a few of those. Oh man. I, so I like, I hit it. I always ask them on the ambulance. Like if they get boxer's fracture, I'm like, how many times did you hit? Cause usually it's like three and then they stop and they yeah. got like a hairline fracture. Yeah. But you always know, like if you, if you go ballistic or berserker, like you probably shattered everything. And like, yeah. I shattered everything in those bones. Um, so like that happened. And then I eventually like everything turned off again. It was a depression episode. Right. Went back to Stormont Whale West. Um, and that was a quicker off turn. Like everything just turned off. And I, I, I don't know if I gave up. Uh, obviously they were very related, but I was so mad. And just finally, like the neurons were just like, ah, whatever. And they stopped firing. So go to Stormont Vale West. Um, first experience with Burt Nash was in this. Um, I remember, oh no. Okay. That is a year apart. Sorry. I did finish that semester. I was still manic. I actually checked into massage therapy school and wanted to start to explore that because that made more sense to me. And I was just kind of done with like the Western world, I guess. So that was interesting. That's a whole year gap. So when did, so in all of this, yeah. right, when did you yeah. find the exercise was going to Burt Nash actually. Okay. So, uh, so what did, what was it? What was the thing that you found? Uh, running back to running. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so fast forward, went through another depressive episode, dropped out of massage therapy school at that point. Um, and then started going to Burt Nash. I remember, uh, and then it was just one of those things where it's like, you need to do this, like go exercise for 45 minutes a day. Um, and so I did, I found a buddy from back in like old cycling days who was okay. going through something similar and we did P 90 X and we trained for the Pi day half marathon. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, and so did that, uh, and it was awesome. I mean, it was, I had started to get like, this is the one time I've ever like filled out a pair of 32 size waist jeans, <laughs> a little smooth around the edges, um, and started running again. And we did the Pi Day half marathon, which one, you should train more than like a month for something like that. Sure. If you haven't done anything, that was a interesting experience. Uh, and at that point, I wanted to, I thought it would be really cool to run the Boston Marathon. So that was the year that the Boston Marathon bombings happened. Oh, okay. Um, and I had just gotten a job as a lifeguard. I was back into massage school at this point. Um, and all of those things kind of happened at once. Like I was in massage school. I was enjoying it, but it was mostly to finish it because I dropped out and come back. Mm -hmm. And I went through lifeguard training and at the end of every scenario in lifeguard training, it's like, then wait till EMS arrives. I right. was like, what happens then? <laughs> That's super cool. That's kind of like nursing. Like I started mm -hmm. in, that'd be interesting. And at this point, like I was taking the drugs that I had had, I had actually found the psychiatrist that I have still now, um, who's a saint. Uh, that was the first time when I had gotten depressed and I met him. Um, the first meeting we had was three hours long. Nice. And he sat with me while I was like in bed, curled up, just 
lights off and just listened to me. And he talked and I talked and three hours. He drove all the way to Topeka from Lawrence to just have that meeting with me. Um, And uh, anyhow, so when I go through the lifeguard thing and the Boston Marathon's happening, so I started running a lot more. I started looking into like what does fire EMS mean um, and doing my research. And I remember I was running so much and I tried to immediately bridge into like barefoot running. So that's what everybody was doing at that point. Oh, right. I remember that. And, uh, totally stress fractured my foot, not diagnosed, but I'd done it in high school. And like, I'm pretty sure I stress fractured. Like I just messed my foot up. And so I couldn't run anymore. And I was like, great. So I started getting into like Holcomb rec center, just printing off some like Bruce Lee workouts or whatever I could find, like a Schwarzenegger pec thing. And like, I had never touched a barbell. Like I, outside of P90X, I hadn't touched dumbbells before. And it was fun. I mean, it was great. Like, my foot got better. And while I was lifeguarding, like, later that summer, uh, this girl came, and she shadowed me. She was a new employee, but she had experience lifeguarding, and she did CrossFit. Uh, do you remember Adrian Brown? She was, like, Miss November in KU. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. So Adrian and Mitch get hired as lifeguards at the same time, and I trained nice. Adrian. Nice. And so she didn't even know how to learn how to lifeguard so we talked about crossfit for seven hours on this shift because wow. she was just stuck with me we we're just right. pacing and of course she's into crossfit and what do crossfit people do they talk about crossfit they talk about crossfit and so she was like well it's kind of like running and weightlifting so like you'd like that i was like okay <laughs> so my foot was better i remember showing up at the uh free workout on tuesday uh at crossfit lawrence they was just opened their new space the new space mm-hmm. okay they just opened it. They still hadn't closed out on the other one mm-hmm. uh, and did the intro workout, and I was hooked. It was so cool to me. Um, and I remember I was in the process of deciding whether to do MMA or CrossFit, essentially, and because I was looking for something to do. Um, and I'd done Taekwondo when I was a kid, and like, so that'd be cool. But did the CrossFit thing, and I was like, all right, this makes sense to me. I like this. And it, filled, it, it felt just like when I was in peak cross-country season, I could go push hard. I could, you know, have that freedom of like that release, that emotional release that you get. And so just head first and somewhat more or less never looked back since then. Uh, and it gave me the balance. Like I've, I haven't had any huge ups or downs. Like I've had my ups or downs, but like I try to, I put it on a scale like zero to 10, like zero mm-hmm. is like suicidal. 10 is like schizophrenic level of like delusions and off your rocker. Right. And I've had, you know, maybe some moments of like sevens or threes where I'm kind of down in the Mm -hmm. dumps or I'm pretty excited about things. But overall, like ever since I started doing an active fitness thing, nothing. Yep. Um, It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. And so that's what got me into CrossFit. And there's so much depth to it that like, this is something that Thomas told me a long time Mm -hmm. ago. He was like, man, if you're, if you're ever feeling depressed, like still come to the gym, just don't worry about not talking to anybody. Yep. If you're feeling super manic, like come to the gym, just don't break anything. <laughs> right. And that was his advice. And that yeah. stuck with me still since then. Yep. Uh, and that's something that, I mean, to, to today is I can, I, I, I try to, it's always a constant struggle, but like if a member comes in and you can tell they're down in the dumps, like you don't need to rile them up per se. Maybe you do, maybe they need that in that moment, but a lot of times they just need to come in and do their thing and leave. And do their thing and leave. Yep. And if they're really excited and they come in, like maybe you push them a little bit harder and they can get that out of them and then they leave and it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, so, that was how I found fitness. Like I, I didn't really know how to lift. I remember when I was doing clean and jerks, clean and presses, I would just like reverse curl and go up and oh, I yeah. wrecking Everybody. my elbows. Yeah. Trying Everybody to does. like, Oh dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, I guess the long answer to CrossFit. Well, um, I like how you yeah. weaved in, um, 
because it is um, Mental Health Awareness May is Mental Health Awareness. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate you waving in your um, your struggles with your mental health challenges, which is what I like to call them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As a and with uh, fitness, because that's where we're going. And and so today, you do take still take a little bit of medication. Is that right? I don't. You don't. Okay. Which is another. Um, not something I, I precursor to this. The d- don't do that. Um, I haven't taken any medications for three years. Three years, okay. Maybe coming up on four. Um, which initially I have a psychiatrist who is also a saint, um, and so who also doubles as a therapist. Which is it's always nice to reduce the amount of people you have to talk to, and so right. you don't have a game of telephone. Um, I decided like I spent. A long time researching and everything pointed to like okay don't take a bunch of amphetamines don't eat garbage don't not sleep you know and you'll probably live a pretty good life okay so what was i doing when all of this happened all of the wrong things all the wrong things yep and it just didn't make any sense to me that all of a sudden when i started doing those things i also had all these mental issues and so i i took it the amount of preparation, fear, the struggle that I went through to make the decision was like, I, I wanted to know if I could do it. And so I, I remember I down, downloaded Headspace for the first time. Uh, and so I meditated for, I think it was 30 days. I was like, I need to meditate every single day. I switched to a keto diet, which I don't do anymore. Um, I still drink Bulletproof coffee. It's really good. But and I, I ate the healthiest I've ever eaten. I dove into, you know, making sure that everything was involved to mental health. Am I sleeping the right amount? Like I, I bought a sleep tracker ring. I, I took everything into account. Did that for 30 days. And then I weaned myself off. Um, and not easy by any means and the fear of like okay so what if you go manic what if you get depressed Mm -hmm. like that's a life or death decision right um but for me like i needed to know like is this just a lifestyle thing or am i you know am i crazy and like is it like at what point like where do you draw that line and so i did and i remember eventually like my psychiatrist uh texted me and he was like haven't filled your script in a while you doing all right? I was like, yeah, I'm okay. We should probably talk. So I like go into his office. We sit down. It's like, what's going on? It's like, here's what I've been doing. And I lined it out and I told him the, I guess, anal retentive. I'm not an anal retentive person. I obviously, uh, I guess you guys can't see me, but the amount of, and I told him, I told him everything that I was doing and that I was still doing. And he was like, okay. Well, it's it's obvious that you're you're knowledgeable and you take an intellectual and that you took the effort to really pay attention to what what it is you thought you needed to do and, mm-hmm. and do all that work. What I want to make sure that we say to the average person out mm-hmm. there is that this is not the this is not the thing to do no. for the average person that's not into fitness and the things like that is to meet with your people Talk to them about your medication. If you're into the world of fitness and you feel like you can manage it the way Clay has, if you take some nuggets from what Clay has talked about with diet and health, there are ways to manage your mental health symptoms and your mental health challenges through other means other than medication. 
And you need to do that with a team of people. A team of people. Team of people to do that. So I, Clay's story is, um, uh, ext- I'll call it extreme on one end of, of things where he um, worked really hard to know that he didn't want to be on medications anymore and he wanted, and he was diving in the world of fitness. Mm-hmm. So he knew that, and, and diet, he knew that those things could um, help him manage his um, bipolar more effectively. Um, that doesn't mean, and I don't, I'm not Clay's therapist or a psychiatrist. It doesn't mean he doesn't have times where he's sad mm-hmm. or he times that he may be a little manic, mm-hmm. but he knows how to manage that because he's been dealing it with it this time. It means he knows how to meditate when he needs to meditate, get more sleep when he needs more sleep, mm-hmm. up whatever vitamin, whatever thing you do. Correct. It, correct. And it, it's one of those things where it, to me, it was an important part of my journey, but it didn't, it wasn't necessary for me to go off of the medications. And I think that's the like important part to remember is you can do all of those things and have that, like that parachute or that safety net of, you know, if you need to take a little bit of lithium every day, like a lot of the side effects from those medications are so minimal. And they're so, and they're easy to mitigate with a healthy diet that it, you know, the risk involved is extremely high and it's not worth it 99.9% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's not worth what could happen. And it's also, um, it, it, you know, if somebody hasn't taken the time to like self-reflect for months about how stable are you and to have, I don't know, I guess I don't want to say the self-awareness. If I would have done it at any other time beforehand, it wouldn't have worked. Right. And, and the thing that I want people to stretch their minds on, too, is I want people to think about I am um, a professional and I handle that stuff um, professionally and in the professional. There are other ways to do things. Mm-hmm. There's not just psychiatry. Mm-hmm. There's not just therapy. There's fitness and exercise. There's treating the whole body, mm-hmm. not just the mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's the point of what I'm doing on this podcast is one of the things too, is that we're not just talking about mental health stuff and journey. We're talking about all of your journey and all of your journey is everything you just said, fitness, diet, mental health challenges, mm-hmm. getting, being a paramedic, being a boyfriend. I don't, I can't remember. We if actually were... broke up recently. Oh, you did. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. About whoa. a month ago. Oh shit. COVID happened. Uh, oof. sorry about that. I, I, I was, I instigated it. Uh, we're, I'm processing, but it was, I guess the next step in the journey, I guess okay. you could say, yeah, but it happens. Um, and that's part of, I recognized there was a, a lot of stress. My dad got diagnosed with prostate cancer eight weeks ago. Oh wow. Okay. Um, the gym was obviously closed. The ambulance is a nightmare right now in terms of just the, the, the underlying stress is pretty high. Yep. Um, and so there was a, a point where like I was, you know, reaching the point of like highs and lows. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit there and look at like, all right, why are they happening? And like, obviously there's a lot of stimulus mm-hmm. that it's a valid response to have and every, you know, everybody's stressed out. It's a valid response to be that stressed out and have those reactions. But for me, that's a really dangerous thing. And like, I've had experience with, okay, if I have the frequency of those events, how long is it going to take? And I hadn't had that amount of stress since I'd gone off the medications. Right. And so, um, recently started going back into therapy with my psychiatrist okay, great. Um, and, you know, talking through those things. And a lot of it was just like, I just needed to figure out what was normal for me 
and that's something that as anybody that's gone in through and out of the like psychiatric world or mental health stuff is sometimes there's a lot of fear of like, if I do this, people won't think I'm normal and I'll have to go back to the, you know, the loony bin. I'll have to go back or up this or change that. And like, that's a hard process. And so you live in this state of, you want to feel normal, but you want to feel like other people think you're normal. Right. And I've done that. And it is like a retrospective thing, but like ever since I got out, it's this, you know, I make every decision with regards to what I went through. And like, that's, that's a hard life to live. Right. And so I just wanted to take a moment to be like, okay, what's normal for me that allows me to operate as a productive member of society? Like I have to go be a paramedic. I have to prevent death. Um, I have to prolong uh, a vital livelihood at the CrossFit gym. And so, but like, I also don't want to sleep in a bed. (laughs) Right. Um, I don't want to have a couch. And so I just kind of needed that like moment to find myself with, you know, luckily a psychiatrist that I've had for almost 10 years now, which is awesome. Uh, I don't have to explain everything again. Right. But, uh, so I just need a moment. And a lot of it, I realized like I wasn't, I wasn't filling my own cup. I was just, you know, I'd go work a 48 hour shift and then I would coach like 15 CrossFit classes and I didn't have any days off and I was just emptying it out. And like, I didn't do anything for myself. Right. And so, I just needed to take the time to like, all right, I need to fill my own cup. And like, unfortunately, like I, I was dating, uh, Liza for four and a half years. And it's one of those things where I just needed a change in environment. And like, there were issues that we had that were in addition to this, but if I'm going to change, you know, feel more comfortable in my own skin, like I can't just be in the same environment that I've been in for four and a half years. Like I need to change something. And so made that decision because I wasn't the partner that yeah. she needed or that I felt like she needed. Um, and that was wearing on me. That's been wearing on me for a long time. Um, and as much as it sucks to like separate, like if I don't do that now, then it's going to be 10 years from now. And like maybe it gets better, maybe it doesn't. But like I don't want to feel like I let her down as a partner. Maybe she doesn't feel that. But like that was like deeply rooted. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's been the last six weeks now yeah, it's okay. kind of working so that, but, here in the next couple of weeks we're gonna um you're gonna be getting back into the gym and coaching yes. and so yes um what's what's the what's the plan for um for Cow valley crossfit for the for the future and what are you guys gonna be doing so as we wrap this up whew. Uh, the next step is to open the gym back up. So a lot of the stuff is interesting. Um, there's a lot of stuff we have to go through in terms of like the social distancing. Right. So when we open back up, there's a couple different factors. Like we have to offer a fitness thing that makes sense to people. And we want to offer a community aspect that people have been desperately missing for the past two months. And so how do we do that within, you know, the current climate of cleaning things, being six feet apart, so on and so forth. So we can do both of those things. So today we're cleaning the gym out and then marking off our like boxes. So classes will start. They'll be a little bit smaller. Um, we'll have kind of like the pathways. You'll see these in restaurants. Or you might've already seen right. it in like gro- grocery stores and whatnot, like go down this way. And then uh, June 1st, we'll open back up. So our classes will be a little bit different. There's also the thing of some people have been doing, CrossFit full on, they have a pretty much a fully equipped home gym. 
And so they haven't really missed a beat per se. And there's some people that just haven't, you know, they either haven't had the motivation or the equipment available or like it's been a tough six weeks. And so we'll take things down a notch. Um, So the biggest thing for us is we want to not only prevent injury, but rebuild so we can get the ball rolling as soon as possible. Take it slow. Take it slow. So part of we're restricted with gymnastics. We'll take out like pull-ups and whatnot, just restrict movement in the Mm -hmm. room. Um, you're essentially going to be stuck with a barbell from the ground. And so a lot of tempo work, a lot of rebuilding like ligaments and tendons. And the nice thing is it kind of couples nicely with each other. So as those get stronger, we can also open up what equipment we have. So there's an interesting thing with like bikes. Bikes have fans. So if you have 12 people in a room sweating and breathing and like putting off all of their humanness and then you have a bunch of fans spinning, that's one of the weird things about with the regulations with businesses is like the airflow of it. That's like probably with the New York thing, like they're all breathing the same air in the same apartments. Right. Like it doesn't matter if they're in an apartment, but they're still going to breathe with right. their neighbor. So as things open back up and we can kind of bridge into whatever phase three is going to be and then so on, we'll add things in and it couples nicely. Cause then we can, we have an excuse to take things slow and bridge it back in and still offer that. Um, one of the things we're going to push more for is that narrative of mechanics and then consistency and then intensity and then make it more complicated and then go back to mechanics and so on and so forth. And so I'm excited for that shift less towards like everyone's pursuing it as a sport, even though it's not a, like not a sport to them and more as like the analogy I use is like, it's really fun to go run a fun 5k, but like you don't really need to train for that five. Like you don't need to train for the Turkey trot. Right. And so same thing with CrossFit. Like it's really fun to go to a CrossFit competition, but if you're like a 38 year old dude, who's just doing it for fun after work, like you don't need to train for that CrossFit competition, maybe like six to eight weeks out, like you put some more focus into it. And so to shift the narrative towards like, this is a fun thing to come do on Wednesday afternoon after work. And like, it's important. And what we do there is really cool, but it's not the end all be all. Like if you want to go kayaking and that throws off your deadlift cycle, like go kayaking, like your deadlift cycles. Cool. It's fine. But like, not if it gets in the way of having fun, right? Of being a human. Uh, so, so you're gonna set up for some fun mm-hmm. in the, starting in June one. June 1. Follow the phases. Yeah. Maybe put the bikes outside. Yeah. So that's the other. We we are. I don't know how soon it'll be, but we're looking at like an outdoor rig, and then that's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. Put outside. the bikes outside, bro. I do know a few things about fitness. You do. You do. But, you are yoked. By yeah. The way, with um, the, yeah, I'm, I'm, you're wide. I, one thing I did do in um, COVID was lift heavy weights. So <laughs> I was I'm a fortunate one to have a home gym. So um, where can um, people find you and the gym? So tell tell so, us that and we'll wrap it up. Uh, Instagram Caw Valley CrossFit is the gym's handle. Uh, C Wynog is mine. If you want to watch my nephew run around in Clinton Lake in his pajamas. Um, uh, and then our website's CawValleyCrossFit.com. We have a Facebook page. We have a business and a group page, but go to the business page and give it a like. It's just Caw Valley CrossFit. Yep. Um, that's how to find us. We are over at Clinton Parkway and Wakarusa. So right next to Genesis. Uh, yes. Next door. Uh, so we don't have a sign outside. There's a little sign on the front, or like the door, uh, but it's just the other building next to Genesis. That's all you really need to find it. Um, so shoot us an email, I guess now in this day and age, shoot us an email, um, go to Caw Valley CrossFit. There is like a link to like an intro 
And uh, I know a lot of people have been stuck inside. So if you guys are interested in working out with other people outside with some guides, uh, we're there for it. So, so uh, just a little um, thing before we go. Um, my oldest kiddo is coached by Clay, and I don't just let anybody um, – take the handles on my kids with when it comes to fitness because i do know a lot about lifting weights and things like that so um i do trust this facility um with my own child so go check them out um and remember everybody um perseverance through strength and vulnerability thanks again thanks clay appreciate it